<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. Yeah! I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win best. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Edison. And I'm Miss Sinclair. And this week, it's double feature time, so grab that extra large popcorn. Warning, 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 warning. Spoilers are ahead, especially for this first movie. Mm -hmm. So please, if you don't want to know about the power of the dog, then just maybe skip ahead to our second film. Yeah. Trust me, you don't want this one spoiled. (laughs) This week's first film takes us back to Montana in 1925, where we meet Phil and George Burbank, two wealthy ranch owner brothers who could not be more different. George, played by Jesse Plemons, is caring and kind-hearted, while Phil, Benedict Cumberbatch, is brutish, controlling, and cruel. When George meets in owner Rose, played by Kirsten Dunst, his desires for love and a family life cause a distance between his already strained relationship with Phil. And when the two marry, Phil lashes out, doing whatever he can to reclaim the dominance he has held over George and his clan of obedient cowboys. (laughs) This includes tormenting poor Rose into a substance-abusing submission. It isn't until Rose's son, Peter, played by Cody Smith-McPhee, causes a chip to appear in Phil's leather armor. Recognizing qualities in Peter that Phil has so desperately tried to conceal, dynamics change, tensions rise, and the dusty sands of the Montana landscape blind us from the truth that lies beneath those blazing saddles. (laughs) Directed by Jane Campion, The Power of the Dog asks the question, If we place the Wild West under a microscope, magnifying a world where nature shows no mercy, animals run in packs, and where the wolves prey on the underdog, who are you bound to place your bet on? The brain or the brawn? Ooh, wow, what an intro. Mm, Very mm -hmm. good. What a movie. Yeah. (laughs) What a movie. Mm. Wow. Wow, Jane Campion. Okay, first impressions, Edison. Oh, I never go first on the first impression. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so my first impression, see, this film opens with that voiceover. And we don't know yet who it is. Right. right? Yes. But we hear a young voice saying, when my father passed, I wanted nothing more than my mother's happiness. For what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother, if I did not save her? And you clock it. You definitely clock it yeah, because yeah. obviously it's there for a reason. But but I think its significance isn't fully realized until later. Mm. That's during the title sequence, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Then we get this opening shot of this landscape. And uh, it is just breathtaking. Mm-hmm. There's that shot from inside the house looking out at Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Phil, as he's walking. Mm-hmm. And it like the camera tracks through win- from window to window. And you're walk- watching him walk. And the mountains are behind him in the distance. And he's his posture and his strut, he cuts such a... I don't know, 
imposing figure, even from that mm-hmm. angle. Mm-hmm. I just was instantly enraptured by this film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The picture of Western masculinity. Totally. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Helen? Yeah. So right away, I started to feel it was giving me there will be blood vibes mm-hmm. immediately. The score, which happens to actually be the same person who did the score mm-hmm. for There Will Be Blood, mm-hmm. um, Johnny Greenwood. That is very prominent in the beginning, and this ominous tension is there immediately. And we have this male character that feels like he's just radiating with with something where we don't really know, but it feels dangerous. Yeah. Mm. And then, you know, we see Benedict Cumberbatch and he's got this sort of like greasy, slicked back, long hair and super rugged and he's got that really low voice and it just like... Couldn't help but think about Bradley Cooper in A Star Is Born. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I know, mm-hmm. just did the the tone of voice and the look, and then I was like, oh yeah, okay, I'm into this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, you would use any excuse to I think suppose. about Bradley Cooper yeah. in A Star. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I suspect that particular um, reference did not last long. No, it didn't. Right. <laughs> so no. Claire. Yes. So you do hear that narration at the beginning of this film, but you aren't really attaching an image to that voice yet. Mm -hmm. So there really isn't much to it yet. Mm -hmm. Really, I was taken by the score instantly. For me, it was like very haunting. And anytime you hear a Johnny Greenwood score, like I find that that is my focus yeah the majority a, of the time it's, it's, it's just so yeah definitely and we are being introduced to phil and george and their relationship is being established we're hearing phil belittle george and call him fat so mm-hmm. and it's pretty clear what their relationship history has consisted of up until this point also there is a shot of jesse Plemons in very dirty bath water <laughs> and i thought edison is not enjoying this right now <laughs> uh, no, no. Bleak. yeah but we get a very strong sense of who these brothers are to each other and what their life has been up mm-hmm. to this point mm-hmm. yeah okay well why don't we get into the storytelling Yeah, so this is actually based off of a novel by Thomas Savage from 1967, which is also called Power of the Dog, um, which I'm very eager to read now. I'm Mm. very interested. Me too. Yeah. To read the source material. Mm. And let's talk about that title. Yeah, so the title of... The Power of the Dog um, is actually a quote from the Old Testament of the Bible, from Psalm mm-hmm. twenty-two twenty, And it says, Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. So this is actually attributed to King David. In the bo- biblical context, it's about the power of the enemies, right? King David is asking God to protect him from those that would harm him. Mm-hmm. My darling, meaning his soul, right? But this is the same David that we all know from the very famous... David and Goliath yeah. story, right? And that we can see a pretty clear kind of mm. reference to in the characters between mm-hmm. Peter and Phil. Um, we know David is the young guy who defeated the terrifying giant. In this film, I think that the key to understanding the title is in that scene when Peter sees the shadow of the dog on the mountain. Mm. Phil says, you know, what do you see? And he says, I see a shadow of a dog mm-hmm. like with its mouth open wide. And he goes, you saw that just now? Mm-hmm. How, how did you see that? And we realize that the only three people who have ever seen it are Phil, (laughs) Peter, and Bronco Henry. Yeah. My interpretation of this is that the barking dog represents the forces that would oppress someone. 
And since only Bronco, mm. Henry, Phil, and Peter can see the shadow, the thing that they all share in common is their homosexuality. Right. And specifically their repressed homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And so the barking dog represents this like rigid idea of masculinity that prevents them from living their lives. Mm-hmm. I think that is the context of this. So save me from, you know, the barking, save me from the dog. The mm. power of the dog is about free me from this oppression. Mm. Dogs are also seen as these street animals that hunt in packs and they terrorize the weak mm. as well. So wow. I think it's about also God, uh, so much. being able to clock your enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what, and whatever that is, yeah. you know, if it's mm. your own repression, if it's a person that, you know, you perceive as your enemy, if it's someone who's tormenting you, all of that mm-hmm. is this film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In terms of storytelling, <laughs> I was just, com- I'm completely blown away by Jane Campion as a director yeah. In this and mostly her diversion of expectations. Yeah. Oh, which my God. Completely fooled me. Yep. She was able to toy with us as audiences and what we perceive to be qualities of strength and power while watching mm. this, especially by putting all of this in a very masculine setting. Mm-hmm. We have our own preconceptions yeah. and our own biases about what is strength and what is a weakness. Mm-hmm. And right away we perceive Peter to be weak. Right. Yes. And I spent the whole movie <laughs> wanting to protect him yeah. and being yes. scared for him and thinking at any moment he was going to be trampled by these cowboys, this pack of hyper masculine men and this And we're also so used to seeing gay characters suffer. In yes. film, mm-hmm. particularly effeminate gay mm-hmm. characters suffer in film. So yes, y- yes, we are prepared as the audience yeah. to s- expect and, yeah. and anticipate that the yeah. tension is immeasurable throughout. Yeah, this film. and in such a masculine setting and a quote, you know, dog eat dog setting. <laughs> yeah. So I spent this whole movie just fearing for Peter, and mm. that idea of him being weak carried me up until the end of the film it took me to the end of the film like the last two shots of the film to realize that he had been in control this whole time time. to the very Uh, end when benedict cumberbatch is actually sweating and dying i still was thinking but where's peter is he dead somewhere I think that that concept that you just touched on at the, at the beginning when you said what we think of and what we attribute to being images of power, mm. right? Yeah. And we attribute this particular type of brutish masculinity. Mm. And especially as in the American powerful. West. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Completely. And that was fascinating in the way that it was completely subverted. It actually is presenting that form of masculinity as a facade. Or the power that we attribute to it as being this facade. And we see Phil represents that because he's closeted, right? Mm -hmm. So he is overcompensating for all of his... Mm -hmm. Because he can't express himself honestly, Mm -hmm. right? He's lonely, he's angry, he's cruel. And that's how it comes out. It manifests in this hideous manner. And talking about the power, you know, like Peter's has that moment where he says, you know, dad always said I was too strong. And right, Phil Lassen right. knew the, like mm. this, you know, yeah. effeminate, scrawny weakling. But he is. Mm. He represents the opposite of that ideal masculine macho cowboy ideal. 
but ultimately what is more strong than being your authentic self in the face of all of that right well and, and being a snake in the grass too, and being so a snake in the grass people can't prepare themselves well the signs are there from the very beginning yeah. so i watched this again today yeah mm-hmm. i started it again today as well and it's from the very I beginning know, of know. the film. First of all, with the narration, you know, when my father passed, I wanted right. nothing more than my mother's happiness. For what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother, if yeah, I did he, not save her? He basically tells us he basically what he's says, do. Yeah. I'm going to do. He basically says, i The brilliance of this is that you um, forget it. Yeah. Also, <laughs> he is saying things like, I was setting a trap. Yeah. He's setting traps mm-hmm. for animals so he can dissect them. Right. There's a lot of qualities about Peter where you're ignoring. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, he's so cute. He's so right. this. But no. No, he's <laughs> meticulating. He's meticulating. I don't think he's a sociopath. <laughs> no, oh, that's an interesting just... interpretation. That's cool. Mm. I yeah. love that it's open to that. I right. don't think that he is that at all. I think that he is protecting his mom. And I think that he's a scientist and that I think he's saying fuck you to what this is. Mm. Yes. And I mean, the other cool thing about Jane Campion's directing is that every time she shows Peter to us, she presents him in a weak way right. first and then shows his strengths mm-hmm. after. Mm-hmm. So he'll come in and he'll be awkward on the horse uh-huh. riding right. down the mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he's, you know, taking the hide off the animal. and But you're, oh, he's just a scientist because you're focusing on his awkwardness of trying to... Yeah. to to ride this horse or he arrives at the camp and he's on the back of the thing and he's super awkward and whatever and then he spots the birds in the trees and walks and there's that brilliant tracking Mm. shot that sees him walking right down the middle of this camp of all these cowboy macho guys like jeering at him Mm -hmm. and taunting him and he just chin up Mm -hmm. ignores them but you're focusing on the taunting Mm -hmm. and you're not focusing on him and how he's receiving the taunting which is Quite well, actually. He also just wears those white tennis shoes the whole time, (laughs) never changes into boots and doesn't care. But we He does eventually change into boots. Yeah, but we aren't seeing any of this. I don't think that I've ever watched a movie where my initial opinion of every character has changed so drastically from start to end. Mm. I was so afraid in the first like 30 minutes of this movie that it was going to go so horribly bad. Yeah. And I was, my heart was going to be broken. Mm-hmm. And it goes horribly bad in a com- way I did not expect. Right. Like in the start, Phil is the villain. So we think. And in the end, he, you f- have so much sympathy for him and he's the victim. And the, and the one that you think is the victim is the villain. Like yeah. it's, it's incredible and it's earned. It's not uh-huh. a House of Gucci, take notes. It isn't, doesn't come out of nowhere. We don't have these character flips that are unearned. Like it, it is developed meticulously throughout this script. It's incredible. It's yeah. incredible. It is really remarkable. I think this is the best film of the year yeah. so far that I have seen, for sure. And directing. Yeah. Just stunning. Like overall, every element of this is a, is a masterpiece. Yeah. It's completely masterful filmmaking. Yeah. What I think is so brilliant about this is that you're right. Like he is ultimately the victim at the end. He's mm-hmm. the one. Phil is the one who's murdered. Mm-hmm. And we have an understanding based on the reveals of his relationship with Bronco Henry and mm-hmm. that dynamic. You can imagine what that dynamic might have been like. Yeah. And you see all of the pain and the oppression that he has had. And that 
you understand why he is the way that he is. But at the same time, you can't help, or at least I couldn't help but sigh this sigh of relief that he was dead and that the mom was now going to be okay and that they could all... Because at the end of the day, Mm. the world's better without Phil. Hmm. This world by Phil. Right. Phil also is maybe a product of being taught the wrong way to be a leader and the wrong way to be an, an alpha. Of yeah. course. You Not know? maybe, 100%. Um, there's just, there's great themes of the alpha dog in this. And you, there's that great moment with, with Phil and Peter where Phil says, you know, Bronco said that a man was made by patience and the odds against him. Mm. And Peter says, my father said, obstacles you have to try and remove them Hmm. and nothing i clocked nothing (laughs) in that moment he basically says i will remove an obstacle that's right there's no i i won't be patient i'm gonna i'm gonna remove the odds not beat the odds i'm gonna remove the odds yes amazing in terms of the theme of alpha dogs there is an idea that an alpha is a pack leader that I think it's been twisted in a way where we think that pack leaders lead with force and with aggression when really an alpha dog is supposed to lead with confidence. And you see Phil trying to be an alpha dog, but it's led with overcompensation and with fear and with force. Mm. Yes. He even said about Bronco, like we wonder what Bronco actually taught him. Right. It kind of just seems like the wrong way. Like even when they're doing a shot... At the beginning, they do a cheers to Bronco and he says, this is to the wolf who raised us. Mm -hmm. He refers to him as a wolf. Mm -hmm. And there's a really cool study by an American biologist named David Neck who basically studied the behavior of pack animals like Mm. wolves. And this was later applied to dogs. In the study of these wolves, he noticed that what we thought was just a singular wolf who became the alpha he actually found that the alpha would become an alpha couple. So it would be a male wolf and a female wolf mm. that would form the the leaders. And I thought that was really cool in reference to this movie because Phil is threatened mm-hmm. when George uh, marries Rose and they right. become a couple. Mm. It's almost like he has this fear of losing control and losing power from this union of two people in terms of their clan or it's like he and bronco henry were the alpha couple yeah even though it wasn't expressed Mm -hmm, in that mm -hmm. you know with that openness i'm sure Mm -hmm. yeah um that that it was the partnership that was the alpha yeah and now he's working solo working solo and has to overcompensate and then spots a potential kinship with peter yeah observing phil's behavior in the beginning on upon second watch i saw it completely differently and i saw it as he was he had obviously strong strong feelings about bronco henry and his aggression in the beginning i read the second time as his grief and he's sad that his brother's not there to cheers bronco because that he wants to honor this man's memory and he gets angry when they go to the restaurant that there's like drunk people next to them because this is meant to be like a dinner honoring this man's memory like i started seeing it in that context of the grief of his love being gone and wanting to really honor him i also started to pick up on like 
clearly George has an opinion about Bronco Henry. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We don't really find out what that is. And we also don't know how Bronco behaved with Phil. Maybe it was like a grooming situation. Like mm-hmm. maybe it was inappropriate. Maybe it also happened with George. Like we don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. And I started getting, you know, a sense of like, maybe George ha- has trauma from that or, or like we don't know what that. We don't that... know. It's true. That's true. George never expresses any type of affection or familiarity towards Bronco Henry. Actually, in fact, the only moment really there's like a dramatic pause before he yeah. says like Bronco Henry. It's like he's forced to acknowledge who they learned their yeah. stuff Yeah. Well, and mm. Phil says it when they're on the horse and, horses in the beginning. And then he says, what, you got a stomachache? You can't put two words together? Say mm-hmm. something about this man. And mm-hmm. he, he doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so were you both completely shocked shitless, though, when we saw Phil masturbating effectively and fantasizing in the field in the beautiful sunlight with Bronco Henry's scarf? Yeah. Yes. Shocked I, shitless. I was like, yes. oh, okay. Okay. Well, I wasn't expecting it to go that way. And then I was like, is this going to be kind of like a call me by your name, broke back <gasps> mountain right, type yeah. movie? So then my brain switched into that kind of genre, which yeah. threw me for a loop until the very end. And I, yeah, it was once again, like just a diversion of what we expect from a movie that features that. I know. And also, you know, talk about being shocked. I wasn't expecting to see the Benedict or the Cumberbutt, but we saw <laughs> right. both in this film. Yeah. And I don't didn't know that I needed that, but I wasn't complaining. <laughs> yeah. There's a sensuality that runs through this film that I just have not seen in a Western before. Mm. And it just I just love the fact that it's a, a woman who has directed this film mm. and Westerns aren't really a female genre, let's be real. It's a very masculine genre. You know, you have this film that's directed by a woman and it's really fascinating because she's taking a very brutal setting and it's about conquering and survival and power and she it's being shown through an eyes of a woman and it also has empathy and sensuality mm. that makes it really dynamic and deep and compelling i haven't seen a, mm-hmm. a western story be told like this before no yeah. no yeah it, it almost felt like it defied the genre in a way yeah like it was a western but it wasn't because it was so full it was just define our expectation of everything yes about everything yeah <laughs> So I do really want to talk about uh, Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst. We haven't gotten to them yet. I think we can probably delve into that more into performances unless there's anything storytelling-wise we want to touch on with them. Mm -hmm. Just in terms of their dynamic and those that the relationship between Rose and Phil and his right. torment of her and yeah. the picking on the weak and there was dueling banjo vibes going right. on here. I loved that Phil actually played the menacing Oh my god, banjo. that scene was awesome. And you know, he while she was playing the piano, he was challenging her yeah. with the banjo and it was going back and forth and it really was a duel between them she was clearly losing you know the whole time she was (laughs) but he also whistled at her a lot there's something very condescending about being a woman and being whistled yes I found that to be like very grating yeah just and he whistled in general he would like whistle at Peter Oh, too. Yeah. He would just whistle yeah, at the week. Yeah. And there's great moments when the dogs would naturally go to Peter and then Phil would whistle them yeah, away yeah. from him. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's let's get into performances. 
Whoa, this is us. A film that is stacked full of them. Incredible yeah. ones. This just feels like a powerhouse in every department. A powerhouse film. Yes, <laughs> I completely agree. So yeah, Kirsten Dunst as Rose, I absolutely loved. I loved her in this part. The, her being tormented by Phil is so palpable. She does sort of almost have a descent into madness in this film. That mm-hmm. she, well, she shows, I think, in in this character a history of her relationship with men like her performance made me question what her relationship was with her husband who died and did peter kill him i don't know no he hung himself well Well, i i actually with the ropes i don't i don't know i I actually read that i i I read that kristen dunst and cody smith mcphee together decided that their backstory was that peter had killed I got that vibe because yeah. he, you know, he removes the obstacles and yeah. he just wants to see his mom happy. So they don't go this into where the I'm getting these sociopathic. Like, she, you know, okay. Kirsten Dunst also says he's just a man. He's just another man. Right. He's a man. So yeah. like what that relationship with men is like coming through in that performance. Mm. Yeah, I thought she was brilliant. I thought that she where how we saw her at the beginning and how we saw her at the yeah. end was such a dramatic change but like unlike gaga and house gucci for example mm-hmm. it wasn't right. just point a and then point z yes like we actually saw it mm-hmm. descend mm-hmm. that one scene that one moment when her and george are driving and she mm-hmm. says pull over here this yeah. is a spot and they walk out in that field he says, I just want to say how lovely it is to, not to be alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your heart just breaks. Oh, my God. And yeah. the mountains are in the background and it's gorgeous. And you see this expression on Rose's face that's just so pure. Like, she's mm. just filled with tenderness and affection for that yeah. man. That's mm. the moment where I was like, oh, my God, this is wonderful. Like, Yeah. Yeah. So nice to see them act together they have to be one of my favorite hollywood couples i'd love to see them act together that's how i felt last night watching i was like i think they're my favorite hollywood couple Mm -hmm. i love and they were great in fargo together too i love them one i want to say one other thing about kirsten dunce's performance she learned how to play those piano parts okay good good and you know how I feel oh, yes. watching yes. actors pretend to play the piano in movies. It drives me fucking crazy. Yep. And she did not. She was actually playing. And you could tell that she was actually playing. And she's struggling to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really appreciated that. Yeah. Like it, it just adds this level of authenticity that that really takes me out of films when it's not there. Yeah. Let's talk about Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. He was... There are no words. Yeah. It was absolutely <laughs> superb. Mm-hmm. You rarely see him playing this type of a character. And he's such a kind of intellectual type he's of He's usually a, a lot more refined. Yeah. And that, and yeah to see him and... in this, it was his physicality, his posture, the way he walked. Mm-hmm. When he was standing sideways, his, the arch of his back and the way his shoulders were held so taut, so tight, so strong and firm. Like, it was incredible. <laughs> And not in a... did like a butt grab motion with his hands. <laughs> well, it's funny because I don't fancy him at all. But uh, I just... You must have in this movie. No, I really? still don't. Oh. No. I love him, was, a, I love him as Sherlock. Mm. But he still... Ha- I just was really impressed with the performance. He was truly menacing. Yes. It, without even having to say anything. Yes. And because Benedict Cumberbatch is such an intelligent man... Mm. 
I think he's even scarier in this role because he imbues the character with an intellect. Right. And that his eyes are so alert and so calculating. And you can tell that right at the beginning, way before you ever learn, oh, he's actually went to Yale and Mm. um, is literate Mm -hmm. and writes these letters Mm -hmm. and plays instruments. You know, before you learn the details of who this wildly complicated character Mm -hmm. is, you actually see it all in the performance. And I Mm -hmm. just thought it was brilliant. Yeah. He truly didn't even look like himself in this film. Like watching him, his face looked different to me. Like I saw a a different person. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's really astonishing. And I mean, he better get nominated for this. Oh my good God. I feel like I haven't been hearing his name come up in the, in this conversations the same way I have with like Kirsten Dunst or like I I haven't been hearing him as much but he was truly incredible like I was watching it and in the beginning thinking this is one of the best villain performances I've ever seen and then it shifts a little bit but (laughs) yeah and Cody Smith McPhee Mm. I mean I remember him from the road and um, let me in also um, let the right one in the the American version And it's so weird to see him as a... Young adult? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he was great in this. Yeah. He's very unique looking. Mm -hmm. And... Just does not fit in that Western Not at all. I mean, he's skin and bones. (laughs) He is so tall and... Lanky. Lanky and his face is, is very interesting, his features. But then I started thinking like, Benedict Cumberbatch kind of looks like that too yeah especially when he was younger and i started to see like oh phil sees him as this younger version of himself Mm -hmm. yeah and i never would have put that together just looking at the two characters and then i was like oh no but they are like they do have similar attributes yeah I thought his performance was also really spectacular. Mm-hmm. It was less grand, less mm-hmm, showy, mm-hmm. right? And less kind of transformative in terms of character arc throughout mm-hmm. the film. But he's able to play with subtleties and with mystery. I think it might just be the nature of his features and his eyes. And mm-hmm. his, he, you can see, again, his intellect working. But I thought he was fantastic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so performances, amazing. Um, technical, also amazing. Also so amazing. let's talk about that. <laughs> I know. I think we talked about her directing already, right? It's mm-hmm. absolutely stunning. She pulled the most incredible performances from the actors. It's all just breathtaking, mm-hmm. yes. Score, Johnny Greenwood, amazing as well. Mm-hmm. He has had a... Killer freaking year. amazing year. Like, I don't even know what he's going to get nominated for uh, in terms of an Oscar because he has so many possibilities. He'll just be up against Spencer, himself. Power of the Dog. He did Licorice Pizza. Like, wow. Yeah. Maybe, it's maybe he will just be, yeah, the entirety of that category. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one interesting piece of directing that I was reading about is there's one moment in this film where Jane Campion breaks the 180 degree rule. So basically mm. that you're only supposed to shoot a scene 180 degrees, not 360. And she breaks it in the scene where Peter brings the infected hide to Phil. And the camera does this twirl and flips. And it's as if we're now switching the dominance of the characters. Mm. Phil is no longer the dominant one. It is now Peter. We are... Mm-hmm. See, it's so I know. brilliant. I know. Like- <laughs> because you don't clock the meaning of that yeah. as you're watching it, but it has meaning. Yeah. And every... It's <gasps> that wild attention to detail and intention that 
fills every single single breath of this movie. Yeah. One last thing technically for me, this had this film had so much atmosphere. Mm-hmm. The sets, the props, the costumes. I felt like I was in 1925. I didn't feel like I was watching a movie that was set in 1925. Totally. Mm-hmm. Like the I, house. I felt like I could breathe in that dirty, sweaty air. And every time, really, I did. Like, and every time that Phil walked in the spurs on his boots, like, it was so palpable and just like, it. it I don't know. It was overtaking, overwhelming. This, yeah. yeah. The and this was shot in New Zealand, I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah. yeah it, was. it was, I mean, there's a lot to say for having an incredible location to shoot right. in. Yeah. Because that is a character in this film and it mm-hmm. just does a lot of the work for you, right? Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. All right. What's the last word on the power of the dog, Helen? Yeah, this movie's incredible. I started a second watch. I didn't finish it, so I can't wait to actually watch it all the way through again for a second time. Highly, highly recommend. This is this is filmmaking at its best, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. This has to be one of the best movies of the year, mm-hmm. if not the best. Uh, Jane Campion really needs a director nomination, yeah. and I feel like she's going to be nominated alongside Denis Villeneuve for Dune, and <sighs> I will just yeah die. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but Ooh. this is this is wonderful. This is an, an incredible film, and I think that it being on Netflix will allow everybody to watch it. Yeah, really, yeah and you should like mm-hmm. get totally. on it. Yeah, for me, I think this is the best film of the year so far. I thought this film was complete masterclass in tension. You spend mm. the entire... Yeah. I spent the entire film from start to finish until literally like the yeah. last three minutes with my heart like in my guts in a constant state of anxiety from for the ent- entire thing. There, there's no relenting. And then it flips. And I'm like... Whoa. It's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. The performances are amazing. It's beautifully shot. I think this is an absolute must watch. Mm. All right. And second up this week in our double feature episode, uh, we are in the world of Mike Mills with his latest feature, Come On, Come On. Come On, Come On stars Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny, a radio journalist in the middle of a project interviewing kids in cities all around America. This project takes on an amplified meaning when Johnny's sister Viv, played by Gabby Hoffman, asks him to look after her son, Jesse, played by Woody Norman. Johnny and Jesse take us on a heartfelt black and white journey from L.A. to NYC to New Orleans, from wonder to trauma to healing and back again. Come On, Come On asks the question... What can the kids of today teach us about our yesterday and our tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Cue the greatest love of all lyrics. <laughs> I believe the children are our future. <laughs> teach them well and let them lead the way. Yes. <laughs> uh, first impressions, Sinclair. Okay, so when the film first started, I got a little bit excited because I thought, is this going to be completely set in Detroit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's not. But yeah. I was excited to see um, Detroit in 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 black and white. It looked mm. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I it just immediately got the sense that although we're seeing shots of this city and it seems very large. I know Mike Mills 
has a really great way of telling very intimate stories. Mm. So the film was already starting to, you know, give me that very intimate feeling like I was going to be peering in on these characters. Yeah, for me, it was it's already open so beautiful and the black and white is gorgeous visually. But you see Joaquin Phoenix's character, Johnny, conducting these interviews. Mm. And so my first impression was just like, wait, are these real interviews or (laughs) is this scripted? Because if it's scripted, these kids are all fucking incredible. Right. Um, Mm. But I don't think it is. No, they was. I know that. I know. Right. My first impression was, I don't think that these are scripted. I think this is real. And I am obsessed with that. Yeah. Helen. So I'm a big fan of This American Life, the podcast. And when we're watching Johnny ask these kids questions about the future, I just kept thinking, oh, this is an episode of This American Life. Like, this would be a, mm. a theme of This American Life. And I could hear the whole episode. I could hear Ira Glass's introduction to it. Um, so, yeah, that was my first my first uh, impression. Mm-hmm. So where The Power of the Dog was, I think, the best movie of the year, <laughs> this is probably my favorite movie of the year. Mm. Big episode. Big episode. So yeah. excited for this. <laughs> yeah. I saw this in the theater by myself mm. last night. And I sat there and quietly wept and had tears throughout the entire thing. Yeah. I thought this movie was breathtaking Mm. in every sense. The storytelling is kind of unique. I think that there's, you know, in, in less accomplished director hands, this idea of like, this young kid traveling with his uncle as his uncle interviews young kids Mm -hmm. about the meaning of life might have been a bit on the nose or clunky, but it doesn't feel that way in this at all. Yeah. I thought it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's the intimacy. Yeah. You see these moments between these characters that feel really real Mm -hmm. and it is something that isn't really like it's not a, like a remarkable idea for a movie, but it sucks you in to to watching these people and the this relationship between Johnny and Jesse grow. Yeah, this movie to me just felt so human. Yeah, <laughs> like it really just felt like oh, this is the human experience, and we're seeing these two characters go through a gamut of emotions and educate one another on how to deal with it. Towards the end, I was like, oh, this is the untoxic masculinity movie. Yes. (laughs) And I just fucking loved it for that. I think this film has a beautiful, appreciative perspective on the world, actually. Mm. I think it's incredibly optimistic. Mm -hmm. And not in that kind of gross way that disregards or glosses over life's difficulties and very much not right. that in this yes. film right mm-hmm. but i think it's optimistic in the way that really it presents the idea that all you need to do is listen mm. and connect mm. this is a movie about listening and i think it's really needed right now in the world and everything that's happening we're so polarized in yeah. everything that you can see these characters who don't understand one another mm-hmm. and who aren't familiar with each other's experiences and perspectives really teach one another, like you just said, mm-hmm. Helen, about themselves mm-hmm. and about life and learn from one another just by actively listening with an open mind and an open heart. And I think that is inherently very optimistic and difficult. Yeah. And that's the 
perspective that this film is putting out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also just a lesson in how we should speak to children. Yeah. Yes. And how we should maybe give children more credit about what they can comprehend and understand mm-hmm. and their feelings on different things. And I was laughing during this because kids can be just walking little truth sticks. Absolutely. Oh, hell yeah. There's yeah. no bullshitting with blah, them. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they ask very blunt questions yeah. that adults maybe aren't used to having other adults ask them. But a kid can make you reflect on yourself because they will ask you very straightforward questions mm-hmm. that yeah. maybe you haven't wanted to share with anybody else but they just cut right through there's no they don't have the social they niceties. haven't developed the social filter they don't yet. have the fear um, yeah. and they're genuinely curious whereas yes. adults we lose our curiosity in other people a lot of the time where kids don't they'll ask you and we learn, you know, the social niceties and what's acceptable and you yeah. learn to not ask those questions and you learn to manipulate your emotions and mask your emotions and it's not healthy. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a reason for it. We can't all go around saying exactly what we think all the time. But yeah, I, I think that that's so true. And exactly to what you said, Sinclair, this is a film that really celebrates the intelligence of kids. Yeah. yeah, and doesn't infantilize them at all. And t- to be totally honest, I was like, oh my god, I'm thinking of myself and like having young cousins, or mm. you know what I mean, like very young cousins, and thinking, God, I just asked them the most boring questions about <laughs> school or about whatever video game they're playing. But it's like I'm gonna make a list of mm. questions that are actually yeah. engaging. But to also, ask young kids. if it's not your child, you don't know the limit of conversation yeah. Yeah. that you can be having. <laughs> with with kids there's just kind of a veil between us and them and we also just kind of disregard what they say a lot of the time yeah but but i mean like yes i'm not going to ask them about their you know their parents divorce but (laughs) i could ask them about what their hopes are for the future yeah and what do they think about the direction the world is heading and things like Mm. that that actually challenge them to think but thoughts that they're probably thinking about already yeah sure i i honestly when i was watching this i thought wouldn't it have been amazing if I had a recording of when I was like 10 years old and Mm. someone had asked me what I thought my life was going to be or what I thought the world was going to look like if I had that recorded somewhere Mm. well this is how it was kind of like boyhood in a way it's like in the way that it's just this story that kind of captures these kids I was thinking god it would be so cool for these (laughs) kids who are being interviewed now to see it just like you're saying Yeah. yeah I already touched on this, but the idea of it being an untoxic masculinity movie, I loved how it was these two men, a boy and a man, and, you know, very different stages of life who were understanding how to process their emotions. And there's a scene towards the end where Jesse has cried to somebody and he's embarrassed about it. And he says, I don't normally cry. I'm I'm embarrassed that I cried. And, And Joaquin Phoenix is says that's fine like those are the kinds of conversations that need to be being had with young men especially like that is okay and then and there are all of these complicated emotions that people aren't directed in how to how to process Mm -hmm. and that's when problematic behaviors can can form when you don't know how to process those emotions and I love that scene at the end where they're 
you know, Jesse's saying he's fine and he's clearly not fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Johnny goes, you're not fine. And then they just yell and scream at each I'm other not, and let it out. This and like, is so mm-hmm. fucked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's, that is, we would be a healthier world if more people did that yes we need we need screaming spaces in the park yeah (laughs) (laughs) this is also a film about parenting and very specifically about the men's challenges Mm. of being a mom Mm -hmm. like there's so many authors and pieces of Mm -hmm. literature that are quoted in this and i love that the film actually gives us the title so you can take notes and then at the end in the credits they list them all i had Mm -hmm. to take i took a screenshot or a, a photograph of the of the theater screen yeah. as well to look some of that up. But one of them was talking about like the burden that we place on moms and yeah. how impossible yeah. it is that they can have to take everything in the entire world, all the negativity in the entire world onto their shoulders and still present this image of lightness and joy and mm-hmm. optimism to their kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved that too, because we are constantly going through our lives, just looking for resources to be able to make sense of certain things. Like yeah. I Google everything, <laughs> yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. And I also love that the movie actually included what they were referencing. Yeah. So I thought that was really fun because they are useful pieces that are referenced in this <laughs> this film Mm -hmm. there's even um an article it's from the huffington post and it's called a how-to guide to parent relationship uh repair and it's like this huffington post Mm. article and there's also um the bipolar bear family because Mm. the dad is bipolar in this Mm. and there actually is a children's book um by angela ann holloway which is about a family of bears and one of the parents is bipolar mm. and it's like this age appropriate story of trying to explain that um, that issue mm-hmm. in so the like, family. Amazing for this movie for doing that. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're someone who watches that or who has yeah. that in your family. You watch this movie and you're like, okay, here's a reference. Maybe yeah. let's look this up. Like, mm-hmm. it's yeah. just awesome. Yeah. Um, but the ultimate is Star Child. Oh, God. Oh. Which is an actual <laughs> children's yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> It's teaching a child about the life cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's really existential. Oh, and yeah. Good time. I have to applaud it because it is something that kids probably want to try and wrap their head around and understand. And it's presented in a very mature, very spiritual way. And mm-hmm. it's a very lovely story. Yeah. Why don't we get into performances? Yeah. I mean, I just adored Joaquin Phoenix and Woody Norman acting together in this. It was incredible. This is this might be one of my favorite Joaquin Phoenix performances. Me too. And to think that it came after, like, this is his first role since The Joker. I know. Oh, thank God. Thank God for this role. Yeah. What, an, what an astute decision yeah. on his end. But I don't think he's calculated in that manner with regards to his career. I think he found this to be a beautiful character and wanted mm-hmm. to tell the story. But holy shit, to talk about range, mm-hmm. like to go from that role to this one, I thought he was remarkable in this. Yeah. So warm and real and just yeah. a very, he disappears into this character that's just a normal person and it's so heartfelt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, Joaquin is my favorite actor yeah. Yeah. of all time. <laughs> I've been following his career since I was 15. 
it is nice uh, to move away from the intensity of Joker and mm. that all the the award stuff and the press conferences and the controversy surrounding it. And Joaquin Phoenix is a very intense actor Mm -hmm. but he also has such a soft lovely heart and a caring heart and he's funny yeah he's really funny yeah and you can you see the humor in him in this in this film and it's just such a perfect role for him he just became a new dad yeah as well in 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 his real real life life. and Mm. it's just such a perfect role for him right now Mm -hmm. and like the chemistry between him and woody norman who plays the kid jesse is i mean it's incredible it's dynamite it's so pure and wonderful i don't know what i'm be fascinated to know what type of kind of trust building exercises they did in the preparation of this Mm -hmm. but they had such an authentic relationship and let me say woody norman I mean, that's insane. That child blew my mind. First of all, mm-hmm. he's British. I know. Excuse you. Yeah. You're British. <laughs> excuse like, you. Like, excuse you. perfect American dialect. Like, perfect. I, does better accent work than, like, the majority of, of actors. I simply cannot. <laughs> Truly. And, and, like, the emotion. It's astonishing, like, to be so connected and so playful and bratty and also warm and sweet and endearing, like... To do all of that and all that really complicated dialogue mm-hmm. and as a British kid, mm. I, I'm sorry, like utterly floored by this performance. Give this kid an Oscar nomination for yeah. sure. If you're not, it's because you haven't seen the movie. Yeah. That's it. I watched an interview with him and Mike Mills and he's like a little, he's a little old man. Well, yeah. <laughs> And he's talking, and and the ugh, the moderator was horrible in this interview. I couldn't even watch the whole thing because the moderator was so bad. But he's asking him like, "Oh, you know, it's nice that walking. Like, what what are what would you say to adults about how they treat children or something like that?" And and he's like, "Well, I would just say, don't talk down to us. We are sentient beings." We are, <laughs> he said, "We're sentient <laughs> beings," and I was like. Google Dictionary. Sentient. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's so, he's so smart. And and Mike Mills even says, he's like, just so everyone knows, this is the smartest person in this room. How did and, he find this kid? Um, He has done a fair amount of work in, in England, I assume, in the UK. Because okay. he has a, a fair amount of stuff on his IMDb for wow. a child. Mike Mills also said that he he prepares the way adult actors prepare. He's like, he did not come in here as a child being like goofing around. He's like, he would prepare in the same way that like Joaquin would prepare for a scene. Like yeah. He does his work. Yeah. And he holds his own opposite Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> and and inc- an incredibly talented gift. One of the best actors of his generation. Yeah. And, and and a veteran, yeah. right? Mm. I think it's like a mind blowing performance from yeah. this kid. Yeah, lovely to see Gabby Hoffman. I love her uh, in this. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah, she just was that woman, mm-hmm. that exhausted woman who was <laughs> given think... so much of herself. Yeah. She was just so beautiful in this, and I mm-hmm. loved her relationship with Joaquin Phoenix and mm-hmm. what they were able to portray. Is I'm yeah. an, look, I'm a I've mentioned this before. I'm an only child, so mm-hmm. I don't you know, have that knowledge of what it's like to go through mm-hmm. these life events with a sibling. Yeah, 
you know, and have these falling outs with a sibling mm-hmm. as well. And I thought that they were just really good together. Yeah. I believed their history completely. Yeah. She was so brilliant in this and able to kind of demonstrate the full and utter exasperation and yet still and exhaustion but and also depletion. The, the joy but also mm-hmm. that yeah also the joy all and of it just yeah. everything about being a mom yeah yeah the joy and also the like there is no other option that's it mm-hmm. she's not gonna not do these things you just come on come on come yeah. on come on exactly yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. All right, well, why don't we get into the technical? So I think the star of this film, like you touched on it earlier about Detroit, right? Yeah. The settings are the stars of this film as well. Mm-hmm. And I they are. I don't know that I've ever seen New York so beautifully shot in black mm. and white as in this film. Mm. It was stunning. Yeah. Those, like, they must have got them from a helicopter, you know, flying over the cityscape. Mm-hmm. It was so beautiful in the streets. Like, the, the black and white was really beautiful here so i just i don't know how how accurate this is but i feel like there was more depth Mm. in the black and white in the lighting in this Mm. film versus belfast Mm -hmm. right which was Mm -hmm. another recent film with a wonderful performance from a young kid also in black and white um yeah stunning yeah um i need to mention too the text messaging Mm. Which I loved. I don't know why they chose to do this, but to have the text appear like just writing on the screen. Yeah, I love that. I loved it too because it gave me a break from screen, like from phone screens. Like I don't or want the like kitschy like bubble pops up yes, on the screen. Like it it's gives to look, you a yeah. break. It gives you a break from the technology of it all. Yeah, you and, know, it and you feels to... more timeless. Mm. I don't know. There was something about it. And you have to consciously think who it is that's saying it too. Yes. Because it's, the lines yeah, are never true. attributed. Mm-hmm. So like the text line pops up, that, that bit of dialogue, but you have to consciously be like, okay, wait, who who is it that sent that text? Yeah, and it right? gives you um, a relationship with that character too because you're like, that's what the sister sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, in terms of technical, I think probably the decision to include real interviews mm. with real kids could be considered mm. a technical element of this film as well. Mm. Yeah. And that was something that I truly appreciated. And yeah. what I actually want is a compendium of all of those interviews. Yeah. I would mm. love to watch that, right? Mm. Give me an, the hour-long follow-up special of just like, I want to hear what these kids... You know, we hear a lot of it in the film, but I want to mm-hmm. hear all of them talking about this. Mm-hmm. I found well, that fascinating. And I like that they pulled it from four very different American cities. New Orleans, New York, Detroit, Los Angeles. They're iconic American cities. And they're all cities. So it is just, you know, grabbing the kids from that versus like a rural area. But they're mm-hmm. all very different mm-hmm. in different parts of, you know, the Midwest, the West Coast, the East Coast, the South, Southern... And I really appreciated that. I love the personality in, yeah. in that. Well, it yeah. mixes in documentary. Yeah. With with the story, which we saw with Nomadland too. And that really right. worked too. It yeah. gives it like an authenticity. Totally. Mm. All right. What was the last word on Come On, Come On? Yeah, I think this movie is really beautiful. Uh, the performances, specifically Joaquin Phoenix and Woody Norman together is worth watching just for that just to see these two together and I think that it it says a lot about life and how we should move through the world Mm -hmm. it's an important film this is as I said probably my favorite movie that I've seen so far this year I was deeply moved by it 
it's one that I want every single person listening and every person that we can <laughs> talk to to watch. Mm-hmm. I think people from all ages across generations can find something to enjoy in this movie. And yeah, I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a lovely film. Mm-hmm. And I honestly thought that I was going to feel sad for some reason mm. watching this. And I didn't. Right. Yeah. It does have an optimistic quality. And there's something that just makes you feel special for being a part of the world. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I had a feeling uh, towards the end where I was like, people are good. Like yeah. people are inherently good. I think people want to be good. They're trying their best. Yeah. And that's a great way to feel yeah. <laughs> in a movie. Yeah. You know, a lot of movies don't make us feel that way. Anyways, this has been an episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Our website is talkmovietomepodcast.com. And become a Patreon member, patreon.com slash talkmovietome. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. <laughs>